Welcome to Building Blocks, connecting people, places, and policies. Building Blocks is a space for thought-provoking conversations about the current issues, trends, ideas, and big questions facing the affordable housing and community development field in the United States. I'm your host, Laurel Blatchford, president of Enterprise Community Partners. As a proven and powerful nonprofit, Enterprise creates opportunity for low and moderate income people through affordable housing in diverse, thriving communities. I often talk about how where you live shapes the opportunities you have in life. And today I want to talk in particular about the intersection of health and community development. In many low-income communities, people suffer from a lack of affordable housing and at the same time, inadequate access to healthcare. All of these things contribute to poor health and poor health outcomes, including higher rates of asthma, obesity, mental health challenges, and many others. Recently, Enterprise released a nationwide survey done in partnership with Wakefield Research that illustrated how housing costs undermine the health and peace of mind of American renters. More than half of renters surveyed reported delaying medical care because they couldn't afford it and consistently prioritizing paying rent over medical treatment. On the contrary, we know that affordable, quality, stable housing in a strong neighborhood is associated with actually really positive health outcomes such as how people can improve their management of chronic diseases, reduce exposure to toxins, improve their mental health. We see reductions in asthma, infectious diseases, accidental injuries, and more. So a lot of really good health outcomes that come with strong neighborhoods. At Enterprise, we believe everyone should be able to experience the positive health benefits that a well-designed affordable home brings. In 2018, we officially launched our Health Begins with Home National Initiative, which is leveraging $250 million to promote health as a top priority in the community development sector, and in particular in the development and preservation of affordable homes. And really, part of what we're trying to do is elevate homes and housing as an essential tool in the toolkit for improving resident and community health. So key to all of this work has been a long-time partnership in a variety of ways with one of my favorite people, Dr. Megan Sandel. She's an associate professor of pediatrics at Boston University School of Medicine. And she's also an Enterprise Community Partners trustee and chair of our Health Advisory Council. So we'll be talking about all of those things today. And I'm just so thrilled to have Megan here with me. Thank you very much for joining us. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me today. I think uh, this is going to be a fun conversation. So you've been on the circuit for a while. We were talking about this earlier. And you've been really, I think, one of the pioneers in making that connection between housing and health. Um, and so I would just like to start there. When did you first see the connections between the social determinants of health and the things that you as a pediatrician have spent your life's work doing and housing, and in particular, maybe go back to the health sector? And when were people starting to think in this kind of bigger way about health? And then we can kind of get to the connection between health and housing. No, thank you. I think, and first, it's interesting just thinking about this concept of social determinants of health and what they are and, and how we describe them. I would say they're certainly not new. I think the recognition of social factors influencing health is like decades, if not centuries old. I think where it gets interesting is I think particularly as the healthcare sector starts to think about really improving health outcomes through other mechanisms than just healthcare alone. And I think there's a lot of great research out there. Robert Wood Johnson Foundation has, has put a lot of this out around kind of really healthcare only predicts to 10 to 20% of health outcomes. Maybe genetics predicts to like another 10 to 20%, but really 60 to 80% of your health outcomes are related to social and behavioral factors often tied to where, where you live. And so where it's interesting is 
Now, I would say like 20 years ago when I first got interested in this um, as really a pediatric intern taking care of kids with asthma and kind of really in some ways asking families the fateful question of like what it changed and they started talking about changes in their home, right? Like needing to get cats and the reason they got the cat was because of the mice, right? That that was for me in my career a eureka moment where it was like, oh my God, the prescription I want to write is for a healthy home and that's not stocked at the pharmacy at Boston Medical Center. How do you start to create the systems that create those housing prescriptions for health? I would say where it's interesting is I think healthcare now no longer questions is housing and health related. Hmm. Everybody gets it. Like it is in some ways the preeminent social determinant of health because everyone can see how housing and health are related. Where I think that it gets interesting is, what's your role as a healthcare institution in changing that social circumstance? Like, is that part of your job as an anchor institution in the community to change that? And is that a route to health? And I think that's where we're at is, is the answer is yes, housing and health are related and important social driver of health. Frankly, healthcare institutions more and more think it may be part of their job to actually influence that. And now we're at the, how do you do that? Who are you partnering with? Are you doing it yourself? Are you doing it with others? And I think that's where the the next kind of five to 10 years will be. So this is a great segue to a specific example that you, I know, have worked on at Boston Medical Center. So can you talk a little bit about the housing investments and projects that you and your colleagues have pursued in that context? And in particular, the determination of need requirement that I believe is part of the Massachusetts um, set of requirements that you have to fulfill and how that's, how that's, a, how, how, what are you testing? What are you learning in that direction that you just outlined? Yeah, I think we at Boston Medical Center, uh, I think first and foremost, view ourselves as an anchor institution in our community. And what does that mean? It, it means that we think that we want to look at ways in which we can apply our economic power to address underlying inequities. And that looks like First and foremost, place-based investing. What are ways in which we can invest directly in communities and, and neighborhoods that have had historical inequities? How do we kind of undo some of those inequities by investing? I think we also are looking at actually hiring. Like, can we target certain neighborhoods to hire from in order to offer new job opportunities within our institution in new ways? And then also procurement. Are there ways in which we can purchase locally and, and support small businesses, particularly minority and, and women-owned businesses? And so as we think about place-based investing, one of the things that Boston Medical Center had was an obligation under the Determination of Need program, which is basically a program in Massachusetts where if you build a new hospital tower, you have to put a certain percentage of the project out into a community health initiative. Other states call it certificate of need. So I think about 34 Mm -hmm. states have a version of this. Not every state does. But in Massachusetts, it has a fair amount of teeth. The Department of Public Health regulates it, actually signs off on your plans. You have to get community input, et cetera. And so we were interested in social determinants. We've done a lot of social determinants programming over the years, but we're really looking to start to really invest in housing. Um, We had this $6.5 million obligation. And so we went to the Department of Public Health and we said, we think the most pressing need in our community is affordable housing. Would you let us use all of the obligation in creating really housing partnerships? So I just want to be clear, we're not using the money to create our own housing. We're not becoming a landlord. We are not uh, viewing ourselves that way. It's more that we're really looking at this as partnership money and ways to test different models. And our hope is, is that by looking at those partnership models, 
can we decide which ones we want to pursue further and frankly bring new dollars to the table? Because we started this in December of 2017, um, the $6.5 million over like a three to five year period doing these different partnerships. But we're already starting to look at what are our new kind of investment dollars or, or other ways in which we can continue these moving forward and we're kind of researching that now. So the partnership theme was kind of in a couple different bucket areas. So one was very specific project-related investments. And these were where a houser said to us, you know what, we are building this beautiful new building. The first floor is retail. We want to have a healthy grocery store. We can't attract a healthy grocery store because of financing. And so we said, well, can we come into the, the lurch here and say, we'll give you a million dollar no interest loan to cover the fit out costs to attract a business to these um, as a way to get healthier retail into a neighborhood. So it's a housing investment, but it's also a frankly economic development investment. Another houser said, we have this specific building, we just got it out of foreclosure, it's half of the units aren't rentable. Is there a way that you could give us some dollars to help cover operating subsidies so that we could go after dollars to renovate it, get these units back online? So those were very like this building, this neighborhood's focused investments. Other ones were frankly service related. Like housers said to us, you know what, we, what we really need, we really need you to put a community health worker on site in the housing development or a part-time nurse. And can we test what that looks like? And so one of them, we're sending a BMC employee to report to work at a housing development and to see all the people in the housing development check in on them. This is an elderly development, a ton of social isolation. And we're now looking at what does that mean to have somebody on site? How do we see decreases in healthcare costs? How do we do avoidable admissions or getting someone out of, frankly, the hospital faster because you know you have somebody on site to check on them? The other side is really, do we pay a houser to deliver the resident services themselves? What does that look like? And so we're testing both models. We're doing a lot around transitional housing. It's, I would say stabilization housing, maybe even a better term, around this idea of can we um, make housing more friendly to health? So we're giving the uh, Boston Housing Authority a renovation fund so that they can put in walk-in showers easier and things like that. And then sometimes we're actually thinking about can we help Boston Healthcare for the Homeless have places for people to stay so they don't have to come to the hospital all the time. I think most importantly, we did a really interesting investment in an equity fund. So we actually invested in something called the Healthy Neighborhood Equity Fund, which was a great exercise for us to see what it looked like to invest in producing more affordable housing. So it sounds like you have a lot of things cooking, right? A lot of lot of real kind of testing. Um, sounds really exciting. Would be really interested in your reflections on what are the biggest obstacles? Like what have, I mean, certainly you've got to get through all this, right? And, and make sure it works. But what, what do you, what, what do you see as the obstacles that systems like yours face? And we'll talk more about how to address those in a minute. Yeah. But. I, I think the way I tend to think about it is I think health systems have multiple different dollars they can bring to the table. So they can bring a community benefit dollar, and I would consider the determination of need dollars we're tapping into to be a form of kind of community benefit. The good news of those dollars is they're super flexible. The bad news is there are not that many of them, and it's hard sometimes, to, there are a lot of different mouths to feed with those dollars, so it's hard to get people to think of housing investments as, as a good use of them. I think there is a service dollar that we can bring. We pay for services all the time, but this idea of deploying it at a housing development, thinking about ways in which to 
not just serve your patients, but potentially serve people at a housing development that aren't your patients? What does that look like? And how do you start to come up with the right return on investment calculations? So for instance, if you put a resident services on site, do you need 40% of the people in the building to be your patients in order to make that calculation work? Or can you get away with only 20%? Or how do you start to think about aligning the healthcare delivery with the services? And then I think the, the third dollar is this investment dollar. And I think most traditionally, most um, endowments for hospitals and or um, uh, investment portfolios for health plans tend to maximize return. Um, they have a little bit of a risk portfolio that they'll think about like safer investments. I think traditionally they've thought of real estate as very risky. And I think affordable real estate is not as risky as what they're traditionally thinking about. And so it's how do you get them thinking about that investment dollar in a different way um, with a different set of criteria with a health impact or a social impact as part of your return. And I would say right now, the people who spend community benefits, the people who design services, the people who run the investment portfolios at hospitals, the biggest hospitals, they don't know each other. They literally don't know each other's names. And so how do you get those three to know each other and then how do you get them to think differently, have a mindset change of their work? And how do you align those three together? It's field building. Yeah. It's field building. I feel like when you describe it to me, it's it's a lot of persuasion and engagement and building a common understanding. Yeah. Right? I think common language is essential. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's common language across sectors. Mm-hmm. So part of it's internal common language. Like how do you get people within an institution to know each other, think that they're all like working together, that one that one piece of the business can actually benefit the other. Um, I think it is getting some of this out of the charity mindset, like, oh, we're doing this because it makes us feel good, into like, this is part of our business model now. This is how we're going to make communities healthier. And then, yeah, if you're going to do it, I actually don't think you should do it alone. You should do it in partnership. So how do you have the right language to do it? So shifting gears a little bit, you've talked a lot about the hospital and anchor institution context. Can we talk a little bit about the public sector and particularly innovations would welcome, I know there's one in New Jersey that um, we've been paying attention to, but both at the state and or federal level, that can start to drive this conversation as well, because a lot of of the dollars come from there. Um, So what are you seeing in that domain that you think is exciting? So I think one of the best examples of field building is the Housing for Health Fund that Enterprise has done, because I think that as we think about it, we need examples like this. We need examples of where a health system works with a investment fund in a new way, and that investment fund is designed to have more than one impact. So obviously has a financial return, is built for that, but also has, I think, a social impact and a health return, is tracking new innovations. And I think more and more you're gonna see that health systems are are gonna be looking for examples for this. I also think that um, the flip side is, I think on the state and the federal government, there may be ways in which to incentivize this investment. So. For instance, could you have a voucher at the sites that are being invested by a fund that the hospitals are investing in such that you could put a medically fragile homeless person there that typically is cycling inside our institutions a lot, ER visits and hospitalizations that could be avoidable so you could decrease healthcare costs. That's a a, a near-term margin-related benefit, but you could also then be more mission-related in being able to have a longer-term commitment to preserving affordable housing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I wanted to shift gears a little bit again and talk about the future. So a lot of exciting work underway. 
But when we look ahead, what do you see as the biggest opportunities, biggest challenges, um, particularly in this cross-sector work? Yeah, I think, uh, so this is part of, I feel like my role, uh, particularly when I joined Enterprise uh, Community Partners Board, was to say, I think cross-sector work is how we're going to address the underlying economic inequities in this country. And so how does the health sector partner with really the community development sector across the board? And so one of the things we did was form the Health Advisory Council, which was kind of our way of saying, how do you bring in um, 15 to 20 leaders in this space, people from health systems, people from health insurers, people from um, different kind of thought leadership, Federal Reserve, and, and other intermediaries to try and start to think about it. And then really starting to think about what are the, the ways to build the field. I feel like um, sometimes you think of change as being really hard to measure in one and two year increments and yet radically changes in 10. And I think that in a lot of ways, I've tried to signal, I think in five or 10 years, hospitals and health insurance plans will regularly set aside a portion of their investment portfolios towards community development investing. I think instead of it being a question of why are you doing it, it'll be a question of like, why aren't you? Like this is, this is a natural extension of our work as health systems. Where I think the, the biggest field building will have to be is in, it's going to require what I end up thinking of as these braided financing streams, where you're not asking kind of a single financing stream to stand up everything. You're really, really aligning multiple, honestly, public and private dollars together and then having really both a short-term and a long-term point of view, and then having this kind of extension where you have financial impact, health impact, social impact, again, all in the same financial model. And I think I think the, the antecedents of the social impact investing world are there, right? The pay for success. I think in this case, these would be more regenerative. So instead of a pay for success paying out, after five or 10 years, you would turn those returns back into the model to have a longer term evergreen point of view. And I do feel like, I joke a little bit that uh, I'm a pediatrician, I'm a doctor, I take care of patients. I talk like a banker now, a lot. And I think that's gonna be what needs to happen is there needs to be some sense of what are the financial models to be able to do this work because I think it has been starved to date of the right capital and really not enough capital and not the correct capital to achieve the goals that it has. But I tend to be an eternal optimist. I think we can do it. I just think we have to have the right players that show the systems that need to be changed. And then we align the systems to have the outcomes we actually want. So one last question, you know, talking a lot about this from a medical and health professional point of view and your world space in that world. um, What do you think the community development and housing sector could do to meet this challenge. You've you've talked about hospitals, but what should we be doing in this on this side of the fence? So I've been thinking a lot around um, the the community development sector is is not a monolith, right? It's a lot of different pieces, and I think particularly as we think about housing and community development, I think there's a spectrum between. What tends to be kind of our focus right now tends to be more on the, you know, transitional housing, supportive housing, deeply affordable for really um, high-cost, high-need patients. That's one end of the spectrum. You then also need to have a, a lot more affordable housing. We know the gaps are enormous. 
Then I think for a lot of communities, though, what they really need is mixed income housing, right? They need to have some deeply affordable, some more workforce, you know, kind of people who are not earning, you know, enough for a market rate apartment but need some form of subsidy. And then you need some kind of market rate housing for the economic development of the community so that you have people who can buy businesses and things. And then ultimately, we have the home ownership gap, right? You know, your ability to buy a home and use that as a way to, to form wealth. And I think what happens right now in the community development sector is all of those are ors. You have to you have to pick either you're a supportive housing person or you're an affordable person or you're a, a mixed income person or you're a home ownership person. When I think it's really a spectrum. And I think that if we could, if the community development sector could kind of start to speak in one voice around where the, the lever points are, and that there's, it may be that you focus on one end first and then you start to get to the other ends, but I think health will struggle a bit with where to, where to insert themselves in that process. And if you have people offering a lot of different options, we'll feel paralyzed. We, we won't lean in on policy solutions unless we think they're the right ones. We won't lean in on um, other forms of investment if we think they, there may be a better one out there. And so I think it's a little bit of can, can there be an alignment of voice around what's needed? And if that can happen, I really think there can be a lot that can be achieved. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and uh, really appreciate all of the work you've done with us at Enterprise and in the field. Yeah. So thank you. Thanks for having me. Upcoming episodes of Building Blocks will explore a variety of topics in the housing and community development field and conversations with industry professionals, change makers, and enterprise experts. Please send your feedback to buildingblockspodcast at enterprisecommunity.org. Thank you for listening.